Okay, that was a great, great worship time, wasn't it? Thank you, Sandra and Rod. You blessed our socks off. Um, This morning, uh, we're we're continuing the story of grace. I love the title slide today. God answers the mess of life with one word. Grace. Grace is not something we pray before we eat dinner, just so you guys know. Although you pray before dinner, if you want, that's great. You give thanks to the Lord. Grace is something we live in and abide by. Why don't you turn real quick in your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 10. Last week, we talked about the issue of sin. Anybody ever sinned before in here? And how grace not just covers it, but completely wipes it clean. We're not bound by sin anymore. Now, we might sin, and when we deal with sin, we bring it to the cross, and we deal with our struggles and our issues. We bring it before the cross of Jesus Christ, but we are not bound by sin anymore. We are free in Christ. We're a new creature in Christ Jesus. Now, whether or not you feel like it today has nothing to do with it. Some of you came in here today maybe feeling a little bit messy, didn't you? But it doesn't change what God stances with you and how you are as a believer in Jesus Christ. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10. As each one of you has received a gift, minister to it, or minister it to one another as good stewards of the manifold what? Grace of God. It's an amazing thing that God has given us. I want you to think of grace now as gifts, okay? Think of grace not just as making up the difference for you, not just the unmerited favor, not just heaven. I want you to think of it today as the grace gives you the ability to be a conqueror through Jesus Christ today. A little different, isn't it? Because sometimes you're like, oh Lord, I need your grace. And that's great. But I want us to get to the point now where we kind of expand beyond ourselves and we look at the grace of God, which the manifold grace of God is, that we become ministers to one another through the manifold grace of God. In other words, I love kind of what one man said, I think his name was Paul Tripp, he said, we use the uh, invisible grace of God and we make it visible in our lives. Turn to someone and say, I need to make this grace visible. Let me ask you this right now as far as grace, and I don't want you to, uh, I want you to think of it as in the context of gifts, I want you to think of grace in the context of ministry. In fact, if you look at the word grace there, it can actually go back to 1 Corinthians to chariz, which is those gifts of the Spirit that God blesses with. How many today in here, raise your hand if God's gifted you today? Okay, everyone kind of pauses at that one. Don't we? Right. Am I gifted? No, you're gifted. Do you have any situations right now, given that, with your giftedness, with God, what God bless you. And here's the cool thing with gifts. There's a twofold thing. And I've said this before when it comes to the fullness of the Spirit and the gifts of the Holy Spirit in your life. One thing is this. God has gifted you with and given you talents that you were born with that He will never take away. You can use those gifts to your advantage or you can use them to God's disadvantage. You can, you can proportionally say, well, I'm going to be selfish about this and use them for your own special interest, so to speak, Or you can say, God, I want to be giving you glory in my life. Here's the other cool thing about gifts. There are gifts out there that you don't have that you can go get. Voila. Overcoming life's problems, that's how come the Bible teaches us this. 
to seek earnestly the gifts of the Spirit. Interesting, isn't it? I'll never forget going to a prophetic conference once, and he said, you all have the ability to prophesy. And I said, yeah. No. And then he would have us get in groups, and we would have to start talking to people and start exercising gifts, and start prophesying to one another. And it was kind of a crazy thing, because we're not accustomed to that. Has God given gift of healing? You know, we think of the gift of healing, and we think of it as some special person out there that has been endowed with the gift of healing. That's true. But what do you do when you can't find the guy with the gift of healing? What are you going to do when someone's sick next to you? Well, we don't have a healing conference in town. What are we going to do, Pastor? I mean, that's what we do with the gifts and the flow. And so I want us to think with the gifts now, the manifold grace of God, and becoming stewards of God's gifts, understand that, yeah, you are blessed with gifts, but I want us to get to the point, too, where we also go after and get more gifts and say, man, I want to have those gifts in my life. I want them functioning in my life. I want to utilize them in my life. It doesn't mean you'll become, that's not necessarily an office gift for you per se, but how many of you know you can have a shepherd's heart and not be a pastor? How many know you can have a prophetic unction and, quote, not be a prophet? How many know you can have an apostolic gift but not necessarily plant churches everywhere you go? But guess what? You're planting believers in everywhere you go and you're excited. How many you know you can have a gift of evangelism and, quote, not have the title of evangelist on your business card? The manifold grace of God. How do we make the invisible grace Visible right now. It's not just forgiveness of sins. It's not just that. Because Paul, who was a strong believer, he said, Lord, would you take this out, would you take this pain away from me, this struggle away from me? And he said this, Paul, my grace is sufficient for you. Now we read that verse and we get really religious about it. Paul, it's enough for you. You're, you're going to make it. You're going to get by. Just my grace. Rely on my grace, Brother Paul, and you'll make it through the struggle in your life. Grace there is the overcoming power of God. Demonstrate to Paul. Paul, in your weakness right now where you're at, that you don't think you can make it another day, you don't know how you can do it, my grace is going to infuse you with a strength that you've never had before. I've said this before, man. I've been reading stories within the New Testament. Man, if you read the stories, if you read the Acts of the Apostles, how you notice it's the Acts. In other words, it's a demonstration of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And you see the things that they go into. And I'll never forget the story of Paul. Paul gets stoned and beaten and left for dead. He gets dragged outside the city. All of the, his brothers in Christ were down there trying to revive him and get him back to life. He gets back to life and Paul says this. He doesn't say, guys, let's get out of Dodge. Let's let these people are horrible people. Paul says, let's get back in it. Grace gives us this power. It's not just to kind of make it through a struggle, folks. It's not just to get by. Turn to someone quick and say, you were never meant to just get by. You have to say it that loud. You were never meant just to get by. Let us today apply the fullness of God's grace to our most trying 
situations, grace is not just forgiveness of sin. It's more than salvation. It's more than unmerited favor. It's all these things are great. But this last thing I will say is it's empowerment for you to be more than a conqueror in Jesus Christ. It's empowerment. How many of us today need some power? And Zondervan's Encyclopedia of the Bible Word states this about karas, which is grace. This grace is a dynamic force that does more than affect our standing with God by crediting us with righteousness. Grace affects our experience as well. We experience God. Imagine that, experiencing God. We go to the throne room of grace and we pray and we actually can start to sense and know that God is an ever-present help in time of trouble. That we go into the throne of grace and it's not just kind of and I did my religious thing. You actually sense and know God's fullness right there. So Pastor, when you talk about feelings, absolutely. The joy, everything that goes along with that. John Bevere writes, after hours of studying every Greek dictionary, test this will be a good part for you, after speaking to fluent Greek-speaking individuals, he says this, my personal summary of grace goes down like this. I love this. Grace is God's free empowerment that gives us the ability to go beyond our natural ability. I mean, isn't that what Christianity is? It's going beyond our natural ability. It's supernatural. In the whole Bible from Old to New Testament, it's not rational. I've said this before in my messages. Nothing about your Christian experience is rational. Nothing about grace is rational. Nothing about the cross is rational. Do you think, man, the resurrection, it's not rational. All of these supernatural components you and I rely upon, we have to have in our scientific society that is basically condensing everything down to the very essence of life, down to beakers and test tubes. It's come down to this and the reality that there's more to life than the scientific approach to life, folks. There is the mystery of God. There's the mystery of God, the unseen, invisible God who moves in very spiritual and powerful ways. In fact, isn't it the Bible that says God who has created the seen and the unseen realms? Our goal, we have enough seen realms. How many of you have seen enough today? We have enough seen realms going on. I want to know if we have people peering into the unseen realm. Just like the prophet said to God, Lord, open the servant's eyes that he may see. And I want to see God move. And I think all of us in this place, we want to see God move. We want to have our defined, our life be defined by a spirit's empowerment that says, you know what, before the old Steve Lapp couldn't have overcome that, but the new Steve Lapp is created in Christ Jesus, is moving in power and moving beyond this crap. Grace is a choice, by the way. Grace is a choice you choose every day. And how you choose to employ grace in your life is up to you. I know there are situations and people and circumstances in my life that need to see some grace from me. Can I get a hearty amen there? Grace is so important. 
Dr. A.R. Bernard wrote, It's amazing how many people, especially those who portray themselves as victims, conclude that the lives their experience have been chosen for them. But they're mistaken. In truth, their lives, all of our lives, are composed of our choices. And we become servants to the choices that we make. Adopting an attitude of victimhood causes a person to take offense at virtually everything in life. Have you met those individuals who are just offended at everything in life? They're victims. They're victims. And if you today are going to look at your situations with a victim mentality, folks, and not get into the mindset where we say, God, I want to become an overcomer in you. Even hearing this statement, by the way, when we say I'm an overcomer, it's hard for some of us to look in the mirror and say, I'm an overcomer, isn't it, sometimes? We hear the word overcomer, and we, we run away from it because we go, man, I'm not qualified to be an overcomer. I'm not qualified for that. Even hearing the statement, we are overcomers, is hard to swallow. We close up because we look back, we see failure, we see defeat, we see what might have said and what we might have done, and all we have crammed into our hearts is complete failure. Gideon. Another prime example. God wants to use this man who was the least in his tribe and the least of the people in his tribe. I mean, no, he was the least. In his own eyes, he was. And maybe even in people's eyes, he was. How many of you know, sometimes people look at you and they're not extending that grace or empowerment to you either. They set you up for failure. They say, I want that person to fail. They deserve to fail. We will never say that but we express it with our life and with our attitude and with our grittiness and with the grinding of our teeth. We want people to fail. Isn't that what the world does? Don't we set people up for failure? They become popular, they get over the top, and something happens and we're like, oh yeah, it's time, time for a new person. Get that person out of here. Here's what happens with victims or that victim mindset or that victim spirit. Job said this, in Job 17.1, and all of us go through situations, and some of us might have Job-type experiences. We all said, oh, brother Job, he's went through it all. There's a lot of people who've been through what Job's been through. There's a lot of people who've lost family members. There's a lot of people over there in the Middle Eastern countries that have had some Job-type experiences, and they could write the book themselves. But here's what Job said that's a, a horrible place to become he said this, my spirit is broken. Now there's two types of broken. There's the contrite, humble person who is broken before the Lord and wants change. And then there's the broken that Job describes here, which is a brokenness of complete hopelessness. That you don't have any hope. That there's no even reason for living or going on anymore. There's no reason for this circumstance, what I'm facing. I don't have hope in that. Now, I, I don't want you to, to, to register too long on this, but all of us have had those places in our life where we've thought they have become hopeless. Hopeless. And you, like Job, maybe have said, My spirit. Humbled, not contrite, I've given up. 
And see, we, we think in the victim, it's kind of a humbling kind of mode, but no, the victim actually gets almost proud of where they're at. And they, someone speaks something to them about hope for their situation, and then they go in this rebuttal about all the reasons why they can't get out of what they're not going to get out of. They are focused on it! They have lost the grace, which is the answer to the mess. And they have decided that the mess will stay forever. They're broken. And today I want to give to you in your hopeless situation a word that God does give you hope And the Bible declares this, that here's my thoughts towards you, a hope and a future. You say, that's very arrogant of you to say, Pastor, you don't know my situation. I love what Jesus does with his own people, the Israelites, who are in the middle of slavery and bondage, and many people might have died, and they were in the Babylonian exile. In the middle of Jeremiah, this verse that says, the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, but all of us put on our front doorsteps and our Hallmark cards. We forget even the context of the situation that when he proclaimed the verse to these people stuck in slavery and bondage and dealing with death and they weren't in their homeland, he said, I have a hope and a future for you. That would happen hundreds of years from that point. I haven't gotten out of my mess. I'm in my struggles, Pastor. And you know what? You can stay there. You can stay humbled. And you can stay contrite and say, God, I'm going to stay focused on you because grace is empowering me in the middle of this situation right now. Turn us around and say, this grace is right now. Not next week. Not when the weather changes. Not when it's all getting better. Not when you got your bonus. Not when your spouse agrees with you. Not when your kids are better. No, grace is now. And whether it all works out has nothing to do with you and God. Nothing. Whether your circumstances all line up and you're, quote, happy now, and your circumstances all are figured out, that will never change the picture of grace. But I dare say for many people, and the problems that they go through is they become broken. They become hopeless. Job asked, who can see any hope for me? There's hope for you because there's grace for you. There's hope for me because there's grace for me. Do me a favor today with the eternal favor that has been given to us. Here's what I want you to do. You say, how do I get out of this victim mindset and receive grace once again? Because again, a victim is talking about where they can't say I'm an overcomer because they go, I failed, I'm miserable at this, I have this and that going on, and it's no good. They have, they have identified themselves with that cancer. They have identified themselves with that character flaw. They haven't identified with the name of Jesus Christ. They have identified themselves with the spirit that has been attached to the emotion in their life, and it's drawn them to a place of brokenness. Do me a favor. You want to get out of this victim mode? Repent of the spirit and this mindset right now in your life. If you want victory, say, Lord, here's where we're going to have to start. It all starts at repentance. Lord, Forgive me for not having the right mindset 
I put on the mind of Christ right now and I receive your grace for me because in my weakness, your strength is made perfect. I repent. I've been broken far too long. When you read that word broken, I want you to think in your head, I've been broke, I've allowed abuse too long in my own mind, I've abused myself too long, I have taken myself through the cleaners. I have dragged myself around enough. I have beat myself up enough. I repent of this mindset, Lord. Here's what this grace does. It restores us. Can I get an amen if you need some restoration in your life today? Here's what the grace does. It repairs, it perfects, it completely mends, it equips. I love the verse of Scripture, and we all know it. He who began a good work in you will complete it. Not I'm thinking about completing it. With, you're telling me with all the flaws, you're saying with all these flaws, with all these situations, he'll perfect it. Yes, he will. God will get glory in it all. God will get glory in it all. Joseph with his brothers, he said, what you intended for evil, God turned into good. What you meant to do to harm me, oh no, brothers, it's okay. I'm not harboring any brokenness. I'm not hopeless here. Brothers, let's all get together because what you meant to do, how many of you know people meant to harm us sometimes? It happens. But God will protect you even in the harm. God will take care of you even when they've taken advantage of you. God will take care of you. And by the way, this is not a license for you to just, if someone's beating the tar out of you, for you to stay in that moment. Folks, I've told you before, call me and I'll beat the tar out of them. Can I get an amen there? I'll get four of my big fellows. Let's talk about this. You get out of that situation. But your grace in that and there's grace in the moment and there's strength and power when you're empowered with the Spirit of Christ in that. He who began a good work in you will complete it. Here's the thing, high expectations. I hate to say this because after I just got done talking all this more than conqueror stuff, I'm going to go into these high expectations that we have for life. Let me, let me say this. I don't mean high expectations. I mean unrealistic expectations. Some of us have set it up to where that person, no matter what they do, it's never going to be good enough either. So this is what the victim does. The victim's been abused, or something happened, and then all of a sudden the person or situation starts to change, and we have a different set of expectations. We wanted the change to occur now. We want it to happen here. How many parents have been there before? <laughs> and you realize when you're raising kids, you're not raising robots. You're raising flesh and blood, dealing with some of the same issues you're dealing with. Unrealistic expectations. We have got this in our heads that when we become believers, that all of a sudden the magic happens and we just have victory in every corner of our life and we will never stumble and we'll never have problems. Unrealistic expectations. This is tough for me personally. Because I get in my victim modes. Many of my struggles are born from this very high expectation mindset in my own heart. I have high expectations. Thoughts like, I am I doing any good at this church thing, Lord? 
No, I don't, I, sorry, I just, this, I don't want you to, I, I, I'll leave places like this sometimes on a Sunday morning and I'll sit there and I'll go, man, this was a complete bomb. I will sit there and wonder, Lord, I've been doing this for a while. Why, why aren't there like a million people involved? Can I just share with you my heart? Be at work, Lord. Man, when is this going to really blow up? I've said it before in a message, and it gets to that victim mode for Steve where he goes, and I've said this, Lord's like Steve, I'll never forget when he said this to me. He said, you know, the Lord speaks to you where you're at, you know that. The Lord will use your personality and work and say, he'll talk how you talk. He said, Steve, if you won the lotto, you wouldn't be happy. <laughs> yep, you're right, yep. You're right, Lord. <laughs> See, unrealistic expectations create a little fantasy world for us. And the Ball is always moving. Lord, when will this happen? My business. So we start to feel sorry for ourselves. And that's how come Paul told his son, he said, man, stir up the gift in you. Stir it up, stir it up, stir it up. And you're going to have to stir up the, that grace which has become sludge to you. And you're going to have to stir it up and make it conducive again. It's gotten really sappy and religious. And you need grace to slap on every nasty thing in your heart. You need to throw grace at everything in your life. And you need to get past this unrealistic expectation that you have built in your mind. And you will never be happy. James Randall Robinson writes, We often put undue pressure on ourselves. We fail to meet our own expectations. And we may become discouraged. Those feelings can spiral downward into self-defeat. If our efforts to improve our marriage are met with resistance or disinterest, well, we just quit trying. If we raise our children right but they make bad decisions, we question God's Word. If we pray for something and it doesn't happen, well, we quit praying. Anybody been there before? We seem to believe that in the end God will say, well done, good and perfect servant. But that's not the standard. Jesus' parable of the talents ended well for those to whom the Master said, Well done, good and faithful servant. We are not called to always succeed, folks, but we are always called to be faithful. You're not going to succeed at everything you do. Some of the greatest men in the world, business-wise... They have filed bankruptcy. Walt Disney filed bankruptcy. Colonel Sanders was at the end of his rope and started selling chicken recipes out of the trunk of his car. Thank God for Colonel Sanders. (laughs) Thank God bankruptcy didn't end his life. We are not called to always succeed. We are called to be faithful. Folks, you might be in some bankrupt situation That never was the end for God. It's just the beginning for the situation you're facing ahead. But don't quit. Don't just realize that, man, if you've got resistance, you're going to have more resistance. You might have to go through some things and tackle some devils. The Bible says that we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. We wrestle. We wrestle. I mean, I've got to work through this thing. Yeah, you've got to work grace into that. It's going to get grimy. It's going to get tough at times. And that's the beauty of grace. When we fight the good fight, it's worth it. And it's worth it to go after it. He goes on to write, Expectations, when treated as standards to which aspire, 
They do benefit us. But when they become objects of discouragement or clubs with which we bludgeon ourselves and others, they are destructive. Managing them in light of God's word and character is essential to the joy we possess and we impart to others. See, it's one thing to have some markers. Man, have some goals in your life. That's a great, great thing. I mean, there's a lot of goal. I, I could never speak on goals better than all these other success people. But it's good to have goals. It's good to have things to go after. But it's amazing how the grace of God works. And I've seen it in my own life, in our own business. When we started the business, I was telling the guys, I was sharing some of my guys when we started, and we started that whole business that we have right now with 60 customers in a Rolodex box. And you know where we were faithful? It was interesting. My wife with Hunter on her hip walking around the phone and the baby crying, and she's talking to the customer, and she's booking the customer as we're just dealing with it. And you know what? I didn't come out there with a big flannel board of character flannel, flannel graphs in the thing. That was right I over the church was a flannel board. But we didn't get that out there and say, all right, man, now listen, we need to hone on on the goals for this week here. We've got to plan this and we've got to strategize. We've got some serious expectations for this. We've got to work with that. No, God faithfully grew. People say, hi, what all this and where we're at right now is a beautiful expression of where, where our life is. And gosh, it's so awesome having a family business. And, me and Anna and my mom and dad, it's a beautiful, beautiful thing. But we don't have, ask my dad how organized I am. I don't have the whiteboard up there with a five-year goal there. But I will tell you what's prevalent in our, in our business is the grace of God and his faithfulness to empower us every day. And he's faithful. And he will accomplish all he set out to do in your life. But stop beating yourself and others up with an unrealistic expectation and destructive behavior in your life. Grace is that establishes a solid foundation. Here's what God starts to do. Turn real quick to 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 2 through 4. Here's where we begin partaking of the divine nature. Here's what's so neat about the divine nature. You carry the divine nature today as a believer. 2 Peter 1, 2-4 says, Grace and peace be yours in abundance through the knowledge of God and of Jesus Christ our Lord. His divine power has given us everything we need. Everyone say divine power. He has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and goodness. Through these... Um, we anticipate the divine nature having escaped the corruption of the world caused by evil desires. Folks, today you're going to find your identity hidden in Jesus Christ. When you latch truly onto grace, you can take on the divine, or the divine nature. You actually become little Christs on this world. The expression of Jesus. Where are you finding your identity today in America? I'm scared to know as we bathe ourselves in the entertainment industry, as we bathe ourselves in all the other things that the world has for us, when we embrace grace, we find it. Our identity so often is found in things, isn't it? 
Our identity is found in our homes. That defines us. If I just had that big place there, that's it. If I had the salary, I'll have that. If I had this card, whatever it is, there's really easy things to go after. Sky Jathani writes about this mass production during the Industrial Revolution. It created previously unimaginable quantities of goods, far more than the market needed. Manufacturers suddenly required a way to artificially increase demand for their products to keep the economy steaming along. Advertising was born. Ads became the profit of capitalism, turning the hearts of people towards the goods they didn't know they needed. Ads sub- subtly and overtly promised comfort, status, success, happiness, and even sex to people who purchased their wares. Today, according to the New York Times, each person is exposed to 3,500 desire-inducing advertisements every day. Rodney Clapp wrote, the consumer is schooled in insatiability. He or she is never to be satisfied, at least not for long. I mean, isn't that where we're at right now in this consumer gospel that we have now? This get more. I'll never forget, I was in the shower talking to the Lord, and I was thinking about just what the prosperity gospel has done to us and our American gospel, our really our Western gospel. And I'll never forget reading an article about a famous preacher who was begging those to raise money for a G6 airplane because he wanted to preach to the masses across the globe. Millions of dollars for this airplane so that he could fly around the world without having to refuel. That was his reasoning. He didn't want to have to stop and refuel. This, this particular model was able to get him from America to across the globe without having to stop because that would just be too inconvenient. So we need to raise millions of dollars to get this particular airplane model. And I sat there for a moment reading this article. This was probably six, seven years ago. And I said, well, heaven forbid we take the millions of dollars and actually just build churches where you're going to preach and give it to the people who actually speak the language and know this stuff and we can actually build a groundswell from the bottom up Why don't we just give it to the local natives who actually know how to spend the money, know what to do with it, because when you're gone after your little weekend fun, they're going to be all sitting there wondering what to do next. Our consumer gospel, these are easy targets for us, but folks, our consumer gospel has taught us that it's all about me, it's the selfish interest of bless me, bless me more. Our grace is given so that we can bless others more. And I'll never forget the great late David Wilkerson. He said, if you can't preach this gospel in the middle of the rainforest, you have no business preaching this gospel anywhere. If this prosperity gospel don't work over there, then it doesn't work here. This gospel is not multi-level marketing, folks. Sky Jathani goes on to write, Consumerism is the supremely narcissistic worldview in which everything, everything's value is determined by its usefulness to me. I stand at the center while everything and everyone orbits around me. I love what the Westminster Catechism said. What is the chief end of man? The chief end of man is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. That's the chief end of you and I. It's to, it's to glorify God. God is not swirling. You are not the center of the universe. I hate to tell you that today. 
You're not. God is not going around there going, I wonder what to do for them today. I wonder what we should do for them. You have been given every spiritual gift to overcome in this life. That's why the disciples were like staring into heaven during the resurrection scene and they were all like this going, okay, so when's he coming back? We need some help here. Lord, just give me grace to get through these rough times I live in. Oh Lord, just come back. It's so tough. And the angel was talking to them and said, what are you guys staring at? Imagine that question. I mean, wouldn't they know what you're staring at? We're, we're waiting for Christ to come back. We've got more work to do. But see, Christ says, no, I, I, if I don't leave and send the Holy Spirit, it won't be good because you can't multiply them. You'll have to wait for me to the next message and the next beatitude. You're supposed to take all this grace you're supposed to take the cross and the power of the cross and you're supposed to deal with the message. I've given you power. So as long as I see the jealous will sit around here and go, oh, oh Lord, oh. You have answers in you for these old problems. You have answers to life's problems. You have been given spiritual gifts, you and I, that lie dormant, and God is wanting you to display them to the world. Turn us where we say, I got a lot of grace to show this week. <laughs> Instead of enjoying God in His presence, we're waiting for God to orbit around us another time. Maybe God will come through and bless me again and bless me again. You've, you've been blessed with every spiritual blessing. 1 John chapter 5, verses 20 and 21. Here's what happens with grace. First John chapter 5, verses 20 and 21. We know also that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know Him who is true. And we are in Him who is true by being in His Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God in eternal life. Dear children, keep yourselves from idols. Another translation says this, Dear children, keep away from anything that might take God's place in your heart. See, what our narcissistic idea that everything's about me and portraying that image to the world, and buying into the poison that more stuff is going to fix this, and more of this and more of that. And folks, i got to tell you, I love techie things, and I love little widgety things, but folks, that doesn't solve problems that this world's facing. There aren't enough apps in the world to solve with the problem of the world right now. But be careful that these things in your life don't take you away from God's heart. Be careful that they don't start crowding out God in your life and that you start making these things as idols to you and me. We are living in our own little amusement parks. How many like amusement parks? Aren't they good? Yeah. Boone County Fair was just over. We got an opportunity to go to Disney, the greatest amusement park in the world. By the way, Disney is all it's cracked up to be. <laughs> People are like, oh, Disney's busy. The lines are like... Oh no, it's great. Don't let them lie to you. Disney's fantastic. 
There's amusements on every corner. There's a parade every second. It's like, woo, we are in a different world. I mean, we could have been anywhere in the world. Did, every problem went away when I was in Disney. It's the greatest thing ever. We're, we're selling passes in the cafe afterwards. <laughs> Blown away by it. But the world was still a mess. Disney can't solve the world's problems and all of its amusements. Now, we can live in denial, and we get on the Pinocchio ride, and everything's fine for me, but we get off Pinocchio, and, ain't, and life is still life. We're living in our own amusement park. Neil Postman wrote in his book entitled, Amusing Ourselves to Death, amusement literally means this, to not think. And for many of us, we're very distracted with our lives and our values. Even our prayers can become amusement parks, can't they? Our prayers become one amusement park right after another. Lord, fix this and do that. And folks, I'm not telling you not to have fixed style prayers. Lord, change this, do that. But again, I've always said those prayers that are most powerful for you is, Lord, change me. Oswald Chambers said the idea of prayer is not in order to get answers from God. Some people are like, what? Prayer is perfect and complete oneness with God. We're enraptured in the grace of God. Our whole point of talking with God is not a means to an end. It's not, it's not so that we can get something. It's not so we can get another thing. And Folks, I'm telling you, you pray, yeah, you get answers to prayer. But you know what your number one reason for prayer is? And this is why it says to pray without ceasing is so that you have fellowship with God all the time. Because there's going to be some prayers that you're praying which are not led of the Spirit. So if you just focus on your to-do lists, You'll never get bathed in the Spirit of Christ and actually get to know the person of Jesus. And he's alive. And he wants to talk to you. And he wants to share things. Paul would go on journeys. I'll never forget one specific journey that Paul was going on. And he really felt dead set. We've got to do this. We've got to go after that. And all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit directed Paul to a completely different direction. It wasn't that Paul was not in the Spirit of Christ. It was just that God was saying, you're going to go over here now for a moment. Prayer is not about us getting our things. Prayer is about us getting to know the creator of the universe. I mean, marriage marriage is the two becoming one flesh, and that's how come the Bible speaks so profoundly about a man and one man and one woman coming together. That oneness and that intimacy, you can't get that in any alternative marriage out there. Because the two shall become one flesh. God blessed it at the beginning, Adam and Eve. And we experience that grace and that knowledge because we've become one with the Father. Don't forget Him and His grace, by the way. By the way, we live in a pretty comfortable nation, don't we? Everybody have air conditioning and heat and control all this, and you got your deodorant on today. You know, you laugh at deodorant, but you go to certain nations, and you can smell there's no deodorant in this nation. I've been there. Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 11 through 14. Did anyone get anything, any food today? I woke up with a nice Starbucks coffee blend. It's beautiful. I love good coffee. I guess my one big complaint today would be my shirt was wrinkly. Isn't that horrible? <laughs> Only the Holy Spirit could do something with that one. Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 11. 
I love this because he was talking to the Israelites and he was telling them, listen, when I get you out of this mess, don't forget me. When you've eaten and are satisfied, praise the Lord your God for the good land he has given you. So by the way, blessings aren't bad. God will bless you. Be careful that you do not forget the Lord your God, failing to observe his commands, his laws, and his decrees that I am giving you this day. Otherwise, when you eat and are satisfied, when you build fine houses and settle down, and when your herds and flocks grow large and your silver and gold increase, all you have is multiplied, then your heart will become proud and you will forget the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You know, this is kind of, if you want to stamp a very relevant, this Bible is so relevant to you, where you're at right now, you have no idea. And if we would just open and understand the grace of God, even the grace of God for our nation, do you realize that we are living in the fumes of past glory? Do you realize that now? Our nation and its blessing where the Lord had blessed us and our nation was founded on Judeo-Christian values. And if you would actually read the Articles of Confederation and you would read the Constitution and you would read all these men, do you know what they were doing in that meeting as they were formalizing the Constitution? They were arguing a whole lot for sure. But you know what they were doing? They were praying for Almighty God to guide their minds. You go down to your nation's capital, which is throwing Scripture and the Bible down to the toilet. And you see etched in stone through all, all the buildings, the Library of Congress. Do you realize how many verses of Scripture? By the way, you will not see any, any Mullah's statements up there. You won't see Muhammad's statements up there. You won't see Buddha's statement up there. You won't see New Age thought. You won't see any of that. You know what you'll see in our nation's capital? The very Word of God. And right now we are in a situation where we are living on fumes and America has forgotten the God of the Bible and has invented a form of godliness and denied the power of God that was once there. And he said, once you build your homes, once you have your silver and your gold, be careful to obey the law which I gave you. And we can sit idly by in the church and we can say it will all work out. We can even say and buy the poison and the Kool-Aid and say, these politicians will fix our problems. Good luck. We need prophets and men and women in the church, a groundswell of people that would beg God and say, Lord, I have bought the Kool-Aid, I have drank the Kool-Aid. And God, I need your grace now. I have bought the consumeristic, narcissistic view of the Bible and who you are. And God, I've realized the blessings I have, I have not given you thanks for. By the way, all the stuff we have, do you know about it? It's all God's in the first place. It ain't yours. Some of us need to be reminded real quick. Turn somewhere and say, that ain't yours. Let me tell you about your money. Let me tell you about our homes and our cars and our businesses and everything you have. It is on loan. You say, yeah, I'm debt free today. No, baby, you are on loan. It is not yours. And I'll never forget what I heard read once. It says the things that we hold in our hand, we must hold lightly. And the grace of God gives us the empowerment to say, God, thank you. I have forgotten that the land you took me out of where I was, where I was, whether it was financially, whether it was emotionally, whether it was spiritually, wherever it was, God forgive me and I want to give you credit. Where is your identity today? Because if it's identifying with the American gospel, it's not an identity in Christ. 
Sandra, why don't you come up here? Why don't you close your eyes for a moment? We're going to be taking communion. Steve, I didn't forget. Forgive our arrogant gospel, which points the finger at you. Forgive our arrogant churches, Father, who places the blame on a world that's dying in sin. And not upon its own lackluster proclamation of the gospel. Forgive us, Lord, for becoming like the world. Forgive us, Lord, for thinking that you revolve around us. Today, Father, we want communion with you again. And Father, if we any of us in here have grieved you in any way, your Holy Spirit, we pray that your Spirit would quicken us. Holy Spirit, quicken right now thoughts and motives, discrepancies, walls, fears, pain that's holding us from receiving all the grace it has for us. With every head bowed and every eye closed, I'm not going to be doing a raising of a hands thing. I want this to be very unique today. We're taking communion. If we could have the deacons come up here and we'll get the plates ready. We're not going to pass the plates. I want you men to, to stand up here and I want you to receive the grace of God by coming and receiving that grace today. By the way, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you get to receive these all you want and enjoy them. But I don't want you just to race up here. I want you to think very cognitively about where you're at in reference to God, in reference to your weaknesses, in reference to your struggles, and where the grace of God plays into that right now. And that you today are receiving the bread, which represents his body. And we're re receiving the blood. And we're taking that grace on. Because it's good. And it's refreshing. 
And it empowers us. Do this in remembrance of me. Do this in remembrance of what I did on the cross for your sin. Right now that's facing you. That you think is bigger than me. That you will never admit it, but you'll say, this thing has got me. And today the victory is in Jesus Christ. Not in you working it out. But in Jesus Christ completely freeing you from that. And you arise victorious in it. Come whenever you're ready to receive it. Funny when you stop and think about it, what's represented in this little cup and this little wafer is pretty amazing, isn't it? And it's not to be taken flippantly or moment that you've given to us. Thank you for we can come together as a body of believers and be strengthened as we say that, see that day fast approach. Lord, I thank you that what's symbolized in each of our hands right now is the very life blood of Jesus Christ. The body and the blood not only representing the death but the resurrection and the hope and the victory and the grace that was shed on that cross and the mercy for me and for all of us. We take this with a spirit of thanksgiving knowing that not 
you, you washed away my sins and our sins. But you've given us victory. And you've gifted us today. So we partake of the bread and the blood. Love you guys.